it's like you know sports teams you can have a sports team where there is no individual stars on it but they just gel together and work and they know their identity Episode 411 of Bruce News Week, recorded on Thursday, the 23rd of March, 2023. I'm Sabrina Kunz, and I'm joined today by what seems to be the only regular co-host, Ian Watson. Hey, Ian. <laughs> hey, Sabrina. How are you? Good, thanks. You're um, you're the one that's keeping us all sane while while Matt travels and then I take vacations. So you're you're, the, you're holding it all together for us. I think I'm the only one that's been on the podcast every episode this year. I think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, I think we, we owe you. We owe you, that's for sure. Well, we'll start the news of the week this week with something of a bit of a, a, a sad news but hopefully a celebration of life, and that's Vale Neil Pops Whithorn. Brewer and industry mentor Neil Whithorn passed away this week after a battle with cancer. He was 75 years of age. Neil started his brewing career with CUB in 1971 and worked in many of the company's breweries with his career taking him to Fiji, Cairns and Brisbane. He went on to have a stellar career at breweries uh, throughout Australia and uh, if you've been following the news, you'll have seen comments uh, in uh, on various articles about just the impact that Neil had on brewers and people in breweries from Matilda Bay to Maddock Brewing on the Gold Coast, Stone and Wood, you know, he just sort of really passed on a legacy. Neil was the recipient of the uh, Indies 2022 Lifetime Achievement Award uh, and at the end of the podcast today we will play you the testimonials um, for that, that he received for that award. So sad news, but clearly a celebration of a significant contribution. Yeah, Neil was someone that I, I didn't actually know, um, but I knew uh, of him very well. Um, and everyone spoke with, with great affection um, about him. Uh, I was down at Maddock only a few weeks ago and 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 that they were they were singing Neil's praises and and how helpful he'd been uh, to them, and uh, someone that I admired from that outside, not knowing him well, uh, but that he was an on the tools brewer up until in his seventies. And I remember a few years thinking about that and thinking uh, how much I I admired that and someone that was was still working at their trade uh, at, at at that age and and loving it so much and still had the time and the energy and the passion to hand uh, his knowledge on to to other people. Yeah, it really it sounds like a lovely legacy and what it made me think about is, you know, are we going to see that going forward? You know, in, in, is there going to be a, a Neil Pops Whitton of the of the next generation that will sort of have that passion for for such a long lifespan that will be able to really keep people engaged in beer? And so, you know, um, Vale Neil. On to sort of, I guess, um, more corporate news, um, Mighty Craft raises $5 million for growth. Listed drinks company Mighty Craft has advised the ASX it is raising $5.2 million via a share placement with the funds to go towards strengthening its balance sheet and investing in growing its spirits portfolio and better beer. Today's announcement, so today Thursday's announcement, comes after Mighty Craft placed its shares in a trading halt on Monday of this week, 
ahead of the placement announcement. The announcement said that the company had received firm commitments to raise 5.2 million via a placement of approximately 35.9 million new shares to sophisticated and institutional investors at an issue price of 14.5 cents. Mightycraft's share issue comes a week after the company announced a restructure of its ownership in Better Beer. Mightycraft currently owns 35% of Better Beer through its 61% holding in Torquay Beverage Company. Through the restructure, this percentage holding will fall to 33%. Um, and this change of position follows the beer brand hitting 10 million litres. The initial agreement with the Inspired Unemployed allowed for a step up in the equity of the celebrity co-owners upon achieving this volume benchmark. The restructure will see Torquay Beverage Company renamed Better Beer Holdings with Mightycraft to become a direct equity holder in Better Beer. This will enable Mightycraft to change the way the value of Better Beer is represented in Mightycraft's accounts. So a lot more detail and numbers uh, in the actual article itself, if anybody would like to dig into those. At the time of the recording today, Mightycraft's share price is at sitting at 16 cents. So, um, you know, it hasn't bounced back to, up to the 18 cents it was sitting on prior to the share offering. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see, I think, what this means for Mightycraft, but there's certainly... Aside from this tidy up around its structure with Better Beer, which seems to make a whole lot of sense um, to properly be able to book their percentage or their value holdings, other than Better Beer, uh, it seems to be raising a lot of cash. And, you know, I still think the, the um, strategy and portfolio seems unclear. But... We'll see what the whether the price share price rallies and says actually this is a great idea. Is it an unusual thing that the share price has dropped by what is actually a reasonable percentage after an announcement um, like this? Not that it's a massive announcement that I'd expect it to to grow significantly, but that feels um, a reasonable drop after an, uh, an announcement like this, which I would have imagined would have been a, a positive move. Yeah. I, I- Look, I don't really know because it could be seen as a sh- share dilution of existing shareholders. And uh, I had a quick look, you know, in the last 12 months, Mightycraft traded as high as 33 cents. So to be down at uh, 16 cents means those that have bought into the placement at 14.5 cents have all made money already. Um, but it does mean that, you know, there's obviously room to go upwards. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know. Um, it just, you know, clearly, again, Better Beer is the rock star here uh, and they are doing their own capital raise at the moment. Um, so I think, you know, for Mighty Craft, it really all hangs on what does Better Beer achieve? I wondered at first when I saw the headline from this whether this was a case of Mitercraft wanting to uh, invest into that raise for for better beer, um, but it, it doesn't read that way. Um, but that was my my initial thought uh, was I wondering whether they're wanting to sort of keep their same level of equity. That's exactly. I mean, Ian, I thought the same thing. It does say that the raise is to support um, better beer, but we don't know exactly at this stage what that means. Whether it means uh, that they can invest in the 
area that they have responsibility for in terms of this um, marketing and distribution component. So as we know, there's sort of two arrangements. There's the equity holding, but they also have this other agreement in which um, Better Beer uh, also pays them for services rendered, so beyond the equity. So maybe they're sort of beefing up to be able to take on a component of that. But certainly the timing given that Better Beer has announced a raise, is interesting. Yes, indeed. Moving on to uh, other corporate news, Lion to uh, close Tiny Mountain. Lion has announced it will not renew the lease for its Townsville-based Tiny Mountain hospitality venue and microbrewery with the venue to close in April. As part of this change, Lion will also cease production of the Tiny Mountain brand. Lion opened the North Queensland Brewery in 2020 after a court case that saw the Crosstown Independent Brewery oppose the company's plans. In a statement, the Lion Queensland Sales Director Pat Donoghue said the brand had not managed to grow in the region. While the venue has been embraced by locals, despite the dedication and passion of our amazing local team, unfortunately sales of Tiny Mountain have not grown as strongly as initially hoped beyond the venue. We'll be working with our team to provide opportunities for redeployment to alternate roles across line. We're supporting them to find alternate employment in the Townsville area through our local hospitality network. Bit of mixed reviews on the internets about this one. I think um, some people saw that this is sort of classic lion um, in terms of an approach. And if you read into the article, Matt has posted by Matt, you'll see that it certainly reflects a change in strategy in their in-lines craft portfolio. Um, but also some comments about, you know, how great the team were and the brewers there and the quality of the venue. So sort of mixed reviews on this one. Yeah, I think this one seems pretty brutal and quick. To be honest, it's only been open for like two, two and a bit years um, and they've already pulled the pin on it, so they must have seen uh, the writing on the wall in one way or another. Um, there was part of their strategy where they were putting the uh, small breweries places and growing and seeing what they could do with the brands from there uh, like they had with Yamundi. Yamundi probably could be seen as a little different as historically that was a name in Australian beer, um, well, certainly within the last 30 to 40 years anyway. Um, Kosciuszko, I believe, has done reasonably well for him. Um, this one just mustn't have um, for whatever reason. Um, the wrong place, the wrong products, um, the wrong time, whatever it was. Uh, be interesting to see whether they redeploy um, that strategy to a, another location and see whether they can do that in Wollongong or Newcastle or the Gold Coast or somewhere in South Australia and um, yeah, or whether this is the end of the road for that um small uh, small regional brand strategy and, and growing growing that out yeah it's interesting so one of the best comments i think um on radio brews news came from fergus alexander who's currently cryer malt i feel sorry for the guys i had a good chat with dave mullins the brewer and it is what it is venue is doing all right but the off-premise not so good whether that's online for not driving outside of the heart side of the business hard enough who knows but it's sad as there are a great bunch of people at tiny mountain and make some great beer and i think that sort of sums up um you know a lot of the sentiment which is not clear what happened but it also reinforces i think 
for smaller breweries the brew pub model so by all accounts the venue was doing well what didn't happen is that the brand grew beyond able to sustain a single venue so I think that's really interesting, you know, in terms of what that means strategically for where a lot of our smaller breweries uh, are going um, in terms of their own strategies. Um, you know, the, the brew pub model, you can sustain a beer brand and a venue. It's once you try to compete on distribution small regionally, whether you can really make a mark. Oh, absolutely. Because... When someone is in a venue, if you've got a good venue and your beer is decent, you've got them captured there to drink it, but selling that story outside of your home building is bloody hard and to get people to pull through there and the, the costs involved in that are huge. Um, yeah. they're, they're, they're astronomical. You can have a, a stab at what you think those costs will be, but it's totally different when you see the actuality of that costings and how that modelling really does work and what all your add-on costs are from from there and to get people to to really run with your 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 brand outside of your venue is a bloody hard thing really bloody hard thing it would be remiss of us not to comment on the fact that the indies the iba this week have launched the big push on buy indie uh, and there's a there's a website and, and Indies IBA members should have received their collateral, et cetera. But it would be interesting to see whether small, regional, strong brew pub venue captured clientele and a push around India and all of those values that India is supposed to stand for could help you at least own a region or own an area or whether it is always and what the downfall here was that it was corporate, it was lion, it was they'd sort of come in and whether something kind of homegrown would have opportunity. So um, it's interesting. I think, you know, the other piece is we should comment on what this means for lion seem to be retracting a lot of their efforts in a lot of different places around craft and as um whereas cub with bolter seems to be sort of continuing to push pretty hard so it'll be interesting to see what's next for the lion craft and i'm this is a podcast so you can't see me doing air quotes uh, <laughs> portfolio uh, what this means for their portfolio over the next year but if we're seeing sort of divestment um and and really sort of buttoning down on expenses around the portfolio and maybe changing tact entirely, um, you know, that that's going to be a big difference in our marketplace. Yeah. Um, you raised a good point there, Sabrina, that um, thinking on was the corporate identity of it as opposed to an independent identity and the bearing that that may have had on it. Now, I would be slightly surprised if it was just that the locals wanted something genuinely local and not corporate, which certainly they probably would in their hearts want that, but whether they knew what Tiny Mountain yeah. was in its relationship was another thing. However, when you have um, a corporate enterprise such as this and you've got all these people that are incredibly highly skilled working on it and they've got all the tools at their dis disposal and they've got – uh, yeah. a wonderful skill set to do it, you think, wow, it's going to be a success. However, sometimes when it's like that, it can things, and I don't know Tiny Mountain at all. I've never never been there, um, uh, so I don't know. But sometimes they can lack just that certain special thing that when it's led by 
um, a team that are uh, invested because it is their own business and it can grow its own unique identity yeah. in a way that you can't put together just by getting all the, all the, all the great pieces together. It's like, you know, sports teams. You can have a sports team where there is no individual stars on it, but they just gel together and work and they know their identity. And then you can have a team made up of all mega big names uh, that are brilliant at what they do, but for some reason it just doesn't work together. So it, it could be something like that and that could be some unconscious reason then why the public haven't haven't picked up on it in in the way that they they might have or, or might have been hoped that they would have it's funny um i'm smiling because at this point matt would normally make his reference about the um pokies and the three you know coming up three lemons or something like it's got to come up all three of them have got to show but i'm going to offer a new reference uh for my fellow podcast listeners who listen to um smartless uh, if you don't, uh, it's great. I can recommend it. It's out of the US. It's Jason Bateman. Anyway, uh, they were just talking about how for their whole acting careers, they had pressed really hard on a lot of things. They'd had millions of dollars behind them to do all of these things. And instead, during COVID, they started a podcast and it was the thing that they had put the least sort of structured thought around but it was authentic they did it every week they were consistent they showed up and it's become this absolute behemoth and they described it as moneyball do you remember that movie where it was about you don't need to be the best players but you need the best players for the right money and everybody in the right spot and so my description of what it's going to take these days for a brew pub to be successful is that it is it's like a moneyball team you need somebody to really be quite creative at getting all of the right people and I don't necessarily mean that, as you uh, pointed out, Ian, as in corporately trained, but the right people with the right passion, with the right relationships, the right sort of gel mix of the team to really see something be successful. And we're still seeing brew pubs open in locations that haven't had craft beer or brew pub throughout Australia at the moment. We're still getting a couple of weeks. So, you know, there's still room out there for something small. Continuing on with that, you, you mentioned like Balter there. So looking at that and like listening to the Beer as a Conversation last week um, and you think about that, so Balter is owned by uh, the big house now, but they've still managed to, from from my position, to keep that feel of their um, of their origin, um, yeah. even without independence. They've still managed to keep that feel and keep that push out into the market with that same feel behind it, that same genuine feel behind it, which is why it would appear to me they're still they're still going so very strong, whereas others yeah. have faced a little bit more difficulty once they've um, become part of the larger uh, the, the larger houses. Mm, absolutely. Uh, so on to something that's sort of technical brewing, and I'm glad uh, you're on the pod today, um, lactose labelling requirements for Fazans. A recent recall of cream stout for the undeclared presence of an allergen highlighted confusion amongst brewers and around the labelling requirements for lactose, a commonly, commonly used ingredient. Stone and Wood Brewing recently recalled its counterculture Erin Irish cream stout. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble for the pronunciation on that. Erin uh, Irish Cream Strout, due to the presence of an undeclared allergen, milk, and advise any consumers with a milk allergy or intolerance to avoid the product. 
The beer was made using Irish cream essence, but no actual Irish cream, and then lactose for sweetness and body. The announcement sparked discussion online amongst brewers as Australia and New Zealand Food Standards Code, the Fazans Code, specifically states that milk, not lactose, is an allergen that must be clearly labelled on products. When asked whether lactose needed to be cleared according to the code, a Fazan spokesperson said that it does, however, did not specify whether there was a threshold. The statement read, Australia Fazan's code requires milk to be declared when present in a food or beverage as it is an allergen. Uh, when Bruce sought clarification, if a beer contains milk, in brackets lactose, it must have a summary statement advising that it is present in the food. The, the code requires it to be cleared. Recalling, and this is my editorialising, recalling that in this case, milk was not included, lactose was included. The Fazan's website states that the code requires food and ingredients to be declared using certain names, which includes milk. The new requirements to make declarations on food labels clearer and easier to find have been introduced, said the spokesperson. The changes include requirements for declaration, font type, etc. Food not required to display a statement of ingredients must still provide declarations on the label when using certain names such as milk. So the summary is that the Fazan's code doesn't specifically state that lactose is itself an allergen or needs to be declared. However, the Independent Brewers Association labelling guidelines uses lactose in a milk stout as an example of a required declaration under allergen labelling. It says that allergens must be declared if they're present in the product, whether as an ingredient, as part of a compound ingredient, as an additive a processing aid or component of these. Allergens may be present in beer that require declaration include milk and milk products except for alcohol distilled from whey, for example, lactose in milk stout. So as one commentator put at the end of this, and I've read all of that to try and help you follow it, listeners follow it through, but I think the answer is clear as mud. And actually there's an issue here with the way that uh, lactose is treated within the Food Standards Code or the lack of specificity around lactose as separate from milk in the Food Standards Code. That's what I think this boils down to. Yes, it is a little bit unclear still um, and a little bit contradictory. Uh, however, I think as a takeout for me as a brewer, uh, if it's got lactose in it, I brewed a beer with lactose in it this week, um, I would be putting it on the on the label. If in doubt, declare um, would be my thoughts at this moment in time. Now, um, yeah, it would be good to try to get some more to try to squeeze some more from Fazans around this and about their reasoning as to why it is in one way they're saying it doesn't need to be on there but also stating it doesn't um partially to be able to understand that reasoning there so lactose whilst it's not milk it has been derived from milk products um and so maybe a case of like for example peanuts that um whilst it technically is not milk um, because of its relationship 
to milk, it still may yeah. contain traces of, and so there is still a risk for some people with that. Yeah, certainly the comments were really interesting, which is that there is a um, a very severe allergy to milk proteins, which is why milk is listed as something that has an allergen, and there is a lactose intolerance. Uh, and so folks who have a lactose intolerance want the declaration around lactose, but that the code, as you say, assumes that the word milk is sort of all-encompassing when in the process of making beers that contain lactose, actually we treat them as uh, sort of two separate things, as you say, just notwithstanding that one's derived from the other. So I think, as you say, lactose in and of itself may not be an allergen, but if you were using lactose in a product that may not even be as obvious as a milk stout uh, and doesn't contain the word milk in the title of the beer, uh, you're safer to put contains lactose on the outside. Whether the Fazan's code specifically sets out right now that you think that you should, uh, to avoid confusion, you should just put it on the label. Yes, absolutely. And that, that's where, you know, once again, if if I was, as I mentioned last week, if I was in this position or, or if I was just printed up uh, uh, some labels um, for my cans for my new milk stout and I realised that after listening to what we said, then perhaps I should declare it a little bit differently than I have, I think I'd probably give my uh, my friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging a call because beer can labels are regarded these days as the new mini billboard of the beverage industry. They say a lot as an advertisement you can hold in your hand. The label is a genuine conversation starter. The label is also providing a new voice to the designers and artists with a very public canvas to present some terrific artworks and some tongue-in-cheek quips. Just brilliant. Seriously, though, to get it all your specs right so your can or bottle looks at its best at all times, call the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can help you make your brand sing. Thank you, Ian. You knew that one was coming. I did. I did. It, <laughs> it, it fit perfectly. Moving into some other news uh, this week, we've got a few uh, bits and pieces that have come out this week. Shout out Heaps Normal have achieved B Corp certification. Um, Heaps Normal has been certified B Corp uh, and they are the fifth Australian brewery to do it, to do so, and the first dedicated non-out brand to do so. Uh, B Corp is the gold standard for business done better and so heaps normal say they're really proud to have achieved the certification. Um, they're always looking for ways they can improve doing business but to have this recognition reflects the team's hard work in putting people and the planet at the core of what we do. And I think on this podcast before we've talked about not everybody understands necessarily what the B Corp certifications are, but it's quite a laborious process and requires you to be certified beyond just um, sort of sustainability in the green sense. It also talks about business sustainability and the way we treat our people. And I think, you know, the fact that we've got five B Corp businesses in, in in our industry out there means that there are going to be more and more tools that can be used to share on all fronts. 
So, you know, in terms of working with our people, sustainability, etc. So it can only be a good thing. And I just didn't want to lose um, the fact, you know, the first one or two achieving it in any industry is always news and then sort of everybody else gets on board. But I didn't think that we should sort of lose the fact that they'd actually achieved it because it's a massive piece of work. So um, just shout out to Heaps Normal for getting that across the line. Uh, on something that's sort of sustainability related, Ian, and I thought would be good to pick up with you, another announcement this week from Barrett Burston and Cryo Malt have launched an Australian Extra Pale Malt. Uh, and as I sort of said to you off mic when we were prepping for this, you know, we make a really huge deal of um, a hops, new hop launch and what that can mean for creativity for the industry because, you know, they're often decades in the development and so what does it really mean to have a new malt added to a portfolio and I realise it's not quite 15 years in development um, but what does that mean for a brewer to have sort of a new offering I guess? Yeah it depends what you're wanting to what you're wanting to achieve and and you're right there's not quite the spotlight on the grain as there is on hops and which is pretty unfair uh, because without grain we don't have beer you can make beer without hops um, for the vast majority of the history of beer that has a there weren't hops in it but there's always been grain and it. it's the very different definition of what the beverage we make is um, there is always new barley varieties being played with um, Unfortunately, there's probably not as much of a spotlight on that as there should be. The other side to that too is that grain and malt is a little different to hops um, in that the hops, the processing to hops is really just to make it into a usable format. It is still that ingredient. It hasn't been substantially changed well, or hasn't been changed. Whereas in, in the grain, uh, as we use it in beer now, it does go through another trade before us as the brewers, and that's the maltsters. And they can take that same uh, lot of grain and turn that into completely different products from something like an extra pale malt like this uh, up to a roasted barley. Um, and all the variations in, in between their toasted grains, uh, crystallised uh, and caramelised grains, there's so much that can, that can happen uh, along the way. So a product like this, an extra pale malt, so Barrett Burston, um, their two main base malts is uh, the pale malt and ale malt, and then the, the pale malt is what others might call a, um, a lager malt or a, or a Pilsen-style malt, um, and this extra pale malt will come in below that in the colour range. So uh, the Barrett Burston pale malt is about 4 EBC in colour, and I think the ale malt is about 5.5 or 6, whereas this one comes in at 2.5 to 3.5, so let's say 3 EBC. So when you're down that low, that's that's a substantial difference in, in colour, but uh, that, that is dropping down. And there could be a number of, of reasons why you might want to use this um, for those making some hazy beers and really wanting to keep colour down low. Um, it might come in for that there. So um, then those that are making really pale Euro-style beers, so the likes of Best Malt have a Heidelberg malt and I think Weimann have a uh, uh, a similar one, maybe it's called straight up Kelsch malt, um, to get really, really pale um, lager beers or really pale even ale beers like 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 Kelsch. Or if you are wanting to use it to make um, 
other drinks that are malt-based drinks, but you're not wanting to impart a lot of colour. So if you if you are doing brewed seltzer-style drinks uh, on a malt base, um, this could be another way to to assist you in in keeping that um that colour down as well, and to have minimal minimal malt flavour uh, across in a product that is not being marketed as as a beer. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how it gets adopted and who starts using it and whether it does sort of uh, spur new ideas and new thoughts or just replace uh, overseas products. And I think that's the piece for me, the fact that this is sort of Australian grown and local means that, um, you know, it's ticking this box again for on the sustainability front in terms of just not having to ship our stuff around the world it's sort of coming local so I think I think that's a great outcome um, and it just is good to have that offer available in Australia now absolutely every every extra tool that the brewer could have in their their toolbox is is a good one um, for being able to create a, a new you know new beers and uh, or refine what they've what they've already got Another announcement that's come in just before we started recording, so I haven't really had time to read it, digest it. Uh, Matt's on a plane right now, so he can't give us his, you know, detailed history that's sitting in his brain about this. Um, But there's a press release out that Australian Liquor Marketing Group has continued to develop its exclusive and owned brand portfolio by acquiring successful Australian craft beer brands, Dos Blocos and Lick Pier. The two brands mark the first beer brands to be acquired as part of the ALM's exclusive portfolio and continue their strategy to help independent retailers gain a significant competitive advantage. So both of those brands were owned by East Ninth Brewing Co. Uh, and so um, I'm sure that we will get a, an announcement up or a story about this because East Ninth Brewing Co., on their website currently list three brands, um, Dos Blocos, Lickpeer and Sample. But according to an article from us at Brews News, the rights to Sample Brew were sold from East Ninth to another third party in 2022. So if East Ninth have sold Sample, Lickpeer and Dos Blocos, then it sounds like East Ninth, the marketing company, or that was the sort of holding company of these three brands, uh, it could be no longer. Um, it's hard to tell what the actual outcome is on that, just based on this, uh, based on this press release. So interesting, but again, just more uh, sort of changes to the landscape as we're seeing, um, you know, the market get tighter and trickier. Um, this is probably a really good outcome for, you know, we've seen the big two, Endeavour and Coles, work really hard on their own exclusive liquor portfolios in terms of replacing other products uh, with their own and it looks like Australian Liquor and Marketing Group is looking to do the same. Yeah, well, it's a, probably a sensible move for them to be considering moving into that space if the other two are doing that. Um which is not something that's totally new in more recent times too. Years ago, uh, the two big chains as well as many of the 
uh, independent groups used to bring in their own imported lines as well. Uh, I worked in a bottle shop that was under a Benner group and we had uh, imported German beer that was only available through that through that Benner group. Um, Woolies years ago ha- um, had the exclusive rights for Paulana. Um, yeah, I think Paulana and Lovenbrau. Uh, for a while, but now with a focus away from those uh, premium imported beers and more into craft beers, it makes sense for the likes of ALM to be looking to have something that's exclusively their own as well. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what this means, as they said, for sort of the holding company or the marketers behind East Knight. In the Bruce News article quoting the sale of a sample from East Knight to Crush Wine and Drinks. Uh, the quote from Crush Wine and Drinks was, we have a huge amount of respect for East Knight and the great work they did as the new custodian of the sample. We look forward to guiding the brand to the next chapter of its growth journey. So um, we'll hold the phone. We'll see what happens here in terms of East Knight as a group for those brands. Um, so that was just a bit of breaking news that came in. Um, and just because we've been following so many changes to the market right now, I thought it was one to get on. Uh, to get on everybody's radar. Uh, another thing that's just a quick uh, behind-the-scenes, BrewCon early bird tickets for members closes on the 5th of April. So you've got a couple of a couple more weeks to get the to get your tickets for BrewCon at the cheapest price that they're going to be. Uh, so flag for members. Uh, some more housekeeping from Brews News. Um, just wanted to say some of you will have known every week we've said thank you to for Radio Brews that's produced by uh, Vivian Topalovich. You will have seen her name across various pieces of journalism for Brews News. She was a intern and then a junior journalist and journalist with Brews News over the last two years. Uh, and Vivian has just moved on from Brews News to start a bit of a new life for herself in Melbourne. And so just wanted to say thank you to Vivian uh, on behalf of Bruce News for everything she's done. Um, but you will no longer, so if you no longer hear me reference Vivian at the end of this episode, um, that's because she's um, headed off on uh, on the next stage of her journalism career. So congrats to Vivian for her move to Melbourne. Matt had a beer as a conversation that came out a bit late this week. It was with Dr Ron Beetson um, out of New Zealand for me, um, and not everybody will feel this way, but for me, this was one of the episodes that gave me the warm and fuzzies. And that's because I think sometimes with the beer industry, particularly when we have headings like ASX listed companies, we're talking about major company portfolios, we're talking about brands, we forget that we're talking about a product that starts its journey as an agricultural product and that really has this connection to kind of place and land and listening to uh, Dr Ron talk about the intricacies of hop breeding and, you know, what he's dedicated his life to and how that changed the trajectory of beer, he goes as far back as Nelson Savant, is really fascinating Um, and for me, you know, I don't know, it just gave me the warm and fuzzy. So I'm just going to say, if you haven't listened to it already, everyone listen to it. I loved it. Um, I loved the conversation and the story and sort of, so, yeah, shout out on that one. If you want some warm and fuzzies about the product you probably all make, 
um, that that was one for me. Yeah, I think I'm probably about 85% of the way through it and, and really, really enjoying it, thoroughly uh, enjoying it. It's a, a great listen and it's, again, a reminder of how lucky we are to have some hop varieties, the path that they take. So Nelson, I did not, uh, which is one of my absolute favourite hop uh, varieties, I did not realise how long it had sat on the shelf before it was before it came out. Um, I first used it uh, in the early 2000s just at home uh, and then, yeah, naturally, um, the the first commercial one. I'm not sure whether I had the Max one from Max first or whether it was um, the Reserve Lager from Napstein, but I remember being excited when I heard that that was going to have the, the Nelson in there. But to me, in my mind, it, had, it was a pretty new variety than finding, no, it had actually been developed um uh, several decades before that um, yeah. was was um, yeah was was mind blowing, uh, and to think that what could have happened to that wonderful hop rider in that meantime, and over that period where it wasn't in the flavor spectrum of what yeah. people were wanting in beer, would have been very easy for it to be tossed out, and we never got to try it. Well, that is what I thought. One of the things I loved about this story was sort of. Um, you know, Dr. Ron turned around and he's like, never look back because you could have bred something and the things that go into deciding what will become a commercial hop, you know, he talked about flavour and agronomics and so on and so forth, but that idea that you could have produced something that in today's market would be the most perfect hop varietal, but it was produced 20 years ago and it was actually too forward. It was too, which is essentially the Nelson Savant story. It was, it was too much uh, for when it was first discovered. But if you didn't have somebody hold on to it and continue to kind of nurture it and grow it, and as as Ron said, once the plant's gone, it's gone. So I don't know if you if you're into the the geeky side of it, of sort of uh, the real genesis of these beers that we advertise everywhere and they get released. It just yeah, loved it, loved the story. More housekeeping from us, a Brewery Pro. If you haven't already subscribed to Brewery Pro on your podcast platform of choice, please go on and jump on and subscribe. We've got some content coming out over the next couple of weeks um, that we think you'll enjoy. Uh, and Brewery of the Week. Uh, Brewery of the Week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litre at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you're after one-off pitches or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. And by the time you're hearing it, um, Derek may be on his way out of Adelaide, but I know he was in Adelaide at the IBD uh, event this week. So shout out to Derek, who will no doubt be listening. And Ian, we're going to go local for this week's brewery of the week local to us yeah local to us super local to me my closest brewery just beats out my current place of work by a few minutes walk and that's um archer brewing uh archer have been around queensland scene for for a while um and uh late last year they opened their new brewery in a um a building that looks like an airplane hangar um which suits the name of the 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 brewery you know they're all all about planes there archer use all uh, Australian ingredients in there. I popped in last night, um, had a chat to, to Chris, the, the brewer there, and caught up with the, the guys from Hilltop Hops um, and uh, uh, 
was drinking their Queensland Pale Ale, which was made with all Queensland ingredients. So that was Queensland grain, uh, malted grain, and as well as Queensland hops from from Hilltop Hops. Uh, so it's a wet hop, uh, fresh hop beer, uh, which uh, all brewers out there would know how painful they can be to to make because you could end up making a beer that tastes like grass. Um, but it was it was a lovely beer. I backed up for a second one. It's not often I do that on wet hop beers, um, and it, it, it was great. And it's yeah. Really good place, really enjoy what they're doing down there and love that it's a few minutes walk from home. That's great. I went there a few weeks ago on a weekend and it was pretty busy. I have to say, I think it was maybe like second or third week it was open. Really enjoyed it. I love that they put some attention of detail in the theme. I actually met uh, the architect of the venue at a completely different function recently and it was really interesting to talk to them about sort of how to uh, take an old building but take the vision of the um, of the new owners, the physicality of the brew kit, and actually build, design the building to meet all of those needs. So I thought that was I loved that about sort of that sort of attention and been paid to that side of what they were going to do. So loved that story. So shout out to Archer. And when Sabrina's talking about the fit out and the theming into it, the bar tops there are actually wings of planes. Yeah, which is pretty cool. But just don't put your uh, your beer on the edge of the the bar, or it'll fall off. Slide right off. Yeah. Um, so with that, uh, it wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, and our regular Ian Watson. The show was produced and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible. And as I mentioned at the top this week, we are going to finish the episode by playing you the audio of the testimonial that was prepared to celebrate Neil Whittorn's lifetime achievement at the 2022 Indies. Vale Neil Whittorn. I reckon I first met Pops for the very first Good Beer Week in Melbourne, 2011. My first memory of Pops is being interviewed by him and he was one of the hardest interviewers ever. I have known Pops since he was still known as Neil. And I said, God, Neil, I need a job. And Neil said, God, I need a brewer. So I would have been my second week into brewing and um, he was on the filter, he dragged me over to watch him. And then a tour group came through and he's like, all right, Tim, I'm up now. You can finish this off. You'll work it out. Oh, the thing that, that struck me about Pops was that he was... Exceptionally generous with his knowledge and support. A big smiling face. An older guy, obviously. Oh, my God. He's, he's a granddaddy of it, really, isn't he? And he does have a bit of a splash of crazy grandfather about it oh, as yeah. well. Just so enthusiastic and positive about beer. Full of energy, um, and he's someone who's never lost his excitement about the enjoyment of a really good beer. That person for us to go to, great mentor, he'd always listen, then he'd tell you, you know, the way you were doing it wrong, but, you know, that was fine. He taught me all my good practices that I know that I've taken through in every brewery that I've worked in. Whenever he would come in contact with with a new, younger brewer he, he hadn't met, it just became almost a, ment a mentor to those people, whether whether he, he knew it or not. The importance that he has shown me in, in mentoring and coaching new brewers. An unparalleled champion of up-and-coming talent in the beer industry. Uh, he's been such a mentor. Definitely a father figure um, role to all of us, but also a best friend. 
obviously I'd love to say I get emotional I want to say so much to that man Pops it's been a it's been a, a long journey and obviously congratulations we deserve a fair bit of the credit we think you got the stoke stoke of a 17 year old brewer and it's it's inspiring he has just been an absolute foundation in craft brewing in Australia and he always will be it's been a lifetime of brewing since when you invented it to now it's been great to sort of share some of this some of the the, the beer journey with you over the last 20 years. We know you're not done yet. You've still got more to give to the industry. And looking forward to another 20. Um, thank you, I think, really from the bottom of my heart for all you've done.